Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7, and with me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. And uh, we don't always start recruiting, start with recruiting on this show. We don't always start with it, but we're going to today because Georgia has, is two for two in the last two days, two commitments uh, in, the, in basically a span of kind of like 36 hours or so. Uh, it's been a, been a big uh, time period here for Kirby Smart and company. Uh, one from the 2020 class, one from, I'm sorry, 2021 class, one from the 2022 class, and uh, Georgia got it kicked off there. And then on the second half of the show, we want to talk kind of about when players are going to report, what this fall may look like with COVID-19 and, and uh, you know, kind of the, the, the way that everything's kind of trending right now. Uh, and, and, and let's jump right directly into the recruiting, and I'm going to throw it to our man Rusty Mansell. Rusty, Let's start with the first, Chaz Chambliss, 2021 class, four-star outside linebacker. Uh, kind of what what was the recruitment like with Georgia? How big of a get is this for the Bulldogs? You know, as we as I got in, probably I would say late February, maybe early March, uh, me and Kip kind of talked about it behind the scenes a little bit. And, you know, we don't have to sugarcoat that he's not the highest-rated guy, and people have their opinion on that, but – what we go off of is what we hear from our sources, and we knew that Chaz Chambliss was a top target for Georgia. They identified him. Dan Lanning was working him hard, uh, been working him hard. And Chaz, as people get to to know him more, you know, he's not a big rah-rah guy, not a real big social media guy. In fact, you know, I haven't had the heart to tell him that he put his – his commitment video out and he didn't put a, you know, a period before the at on the first, uh, I think it was UGA football or something. So I don't even know if he even knows that his commitment video is not on his Twitter account right now. It's not on his page. Uh, it went to all his followers, but it's not on his page. And, you know, this kid's more about ball than he is anything else. And, uh, you know, Georgia did a good job with him. Listen, this, this, this kid's got a, a, a little different story than the most that we cover. Uh, father passed away, you know, a few months ago and, uh, you know, kind of a young age. And we'll, we'll get into that at some point down the line. But, you know, today is not the time for that discussion. But, you know, he, uh, from what I understand, he went to his father's grave site and had, a, you know, had some time alone and felt like he was at peace with his decision. And uh, he was ready to commit to Georgia. And, and, and I know the, the Georgia staff was excited to have him. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of people – with opinions on him on the board. And I understand that. And that's part of this That's part of it. And we, as you know, evaluators and given our, you know, our opinions, we have to uh, do some things too. But I think, I think with, with Chaz not having spring camps really, really hurt him. We didn't get a chance to watch him, you know, at a Nike and, 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 and here he is a primed, you know, 18 year old young man in peak condition, obviously in peak condition, what he could have ran, how he could have looked, you know, and, and it's going into senior year. Does Nike camp probably would have helped him, but, uh, you know, Chaz is, uh, you know, he's his own guy. And, and, you know, just be really, really, this is a guy that Georgia is going to put on campus and he's going to push people because he's not going to talk a lot, but he's going to work his tail off every single day in the weight room and in practice. And listen, I don't know what the future holds for him, but I guarantee you he's going to be an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, as this team unfolds in the future for Georgia, Kip, you've you 
you know, I, I watched you interact with with the folks over at the Dogs Twenty Four Seven Junkyard, and you know, obviously, I, I'm not as into recruiting as I used to be. Uh, I've been covering the team since 2015, and that's kind of been my primary thing. And it seems like every single year, I kind of lose track of more guys. And and uh, I didn't know a whole lot about Chambliss, but you seem to have kind of a bead. On, on what role you think he might be able to fill at Georgia and kind of what he does well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that really stands out about Chaz is that he he's not afraid to just knock the junk out of you. He's not – I mean, he, he comes at it 100% every play and just comes in at to the point of attack with bad intentions. But – Really, I, I think, you know, what stands out about Chaz is that he's got more flexibility. He's got more pass rush capability than what maybe a lot of people realize. Now, when it comes to a, a combine setting, is he a guy that's going to be a 4-5-5 five, five guy? I couldn't tell you that. I don't know that based on film. But talking to people who had to coach against him and prepare against him and, and talking to coaches, uh, they know that. He's got the ability to be outstanding at the point of attack. He is going to be able to rush from the edge, and he's going to be able to do a lot of things for your football team on first down, second down, even third down, You know, setting a strong edge and getting after the ball carrier. I just think, you know, you look at just the production he has for a program that plays a lot of good teams at Carrollton. They, I mean, they play outstanding teams every year. He is a guy that, again, missing games due to injury last season, he's got a, over 73 tackles for loss in three years. And he's got over 30 sacks already. He's got the high, you know, the high production value. I, I think that for Georgia, I mean, you look at the, the strong side linebacker position, He's a guy that can either put his hand in the dirt or play standing up there. And I think he's going to push the guys at that position to be a potential three-down player just because you know that he is not going to miss his assignment. He is not going to you know, lose his ground at the edge. And he's just so good with leverage. I just think that you know his ability to get upfield, to be physical on every snap and be relentless is really going to help him play a lot of snaps at Georgia. And I think that's really just why Georgia thought so highly of him and is, you know, not worried one bit about where he's ranked, which I'll tell Rusty will tell you, Chaz isn't worried about that either. I don't think that's really something that, that, you know, is a factor here. I just think that his discipline, his upper body power and his, his handwork, which is very advanced for a player, his stage is going to really help him, you know, avoid maybe that lack of elite burst he might have. I just don't, you know, he's not a guy that you're going to use maybe a lot in coverage, but coming downhill, getting after the quarterback and and finding the ball carrier and coming down, you know, making solid tackles. I just think that that's really something that Chaz already has in spades. And if he can, again, get a little bit better as far as that, that, stiffness in the hips i think he's a guy that can play all three downs and and give you a lot of different looks as as that sam linebacker you know that that hard end playing with his hand in the dirt he brings a lot to the table 
Yeah, and and I could even see him. You know, Georgia uses their base nickel set guys is, is a three three five. And so what they like to do is they, they like to go with three defensive linemen, one defensive end, a nose tackle, a defensive tackle. And then they play two inside linebackers, one outside linebacker who kind of functions as a defensive end. That is the defense that they're in probably, I would say, somewhere between 50 and 60% of the time, maybe more, uh, because it's the defense they're in over every, pretty much every first and second down. Um, you know, every now and then they'll face a team that allow them play a four-three, where they get you know three defensive linemen, four four linebackers on the field. But more often than not, that's it on first and second down. And and you know, Kirby Smart and and Dan Lanning are always looking for role players. They're always looking for guys who can gobble up snaps and do their job at an elite level. And to me, Chaz Chambliss kind of kind of strikes me as the type of of outside linebacker that can put his hand on the ground on first and second down. He can be, as as Dan Lanning labeled Nolan Smith this past year during during preseason camp, a hammerhead. Uh, they said it was shark week out there because he just was fitting against the run like a hammerhead. And he can be that type of player who can who can play the edge, but he can also kind of knife inside and, and hold up there when they want to blitz the nickel and, and things of that nature. And, and so I, I really think that that's kind of where he fits you know best. But he also on film, if you watch him, he, he looks like he can kind of drop into coverage, and he feels a little bit pretty, little pretty, little bit comfortable doing that. And he, he can also rush from the edge a little bit for you, and he can kind of provide maybe a primary role and then some versatility in, in some other spots. But one thing I I want to kind of push against here is, you know, if if you're listening, you don't follow recruiting all that heavily, and you're thinking, oh, Georgia's taking a chance at this, you know, lowly rated guy. This kid's still a four star. All right, he's still this kid's still a composite four star when you consider all three recruiting services, the twenty four seven sports composited, it's 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 generated by the entire industry and he he's got a rating over ninety. He's the number two hundred fifty fifth overall prospect in the country, which blows my mind how many folks don't realize how good you've got to be to be inside the top three or four hundred prospects in the country, maybe even five hundred because. You're talking 50 states and and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of prospects to be in that top you know 300 400 500 is is an honor and there are a lot of guys who are successful who do that and uh, I'm interested to see how it plays out I'm interested to see how he grows into a, into a role at Georgia and I think that he's a guy that can kind of be a bell cow for this class and 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 in a way that he brings some energy and enthusiasm about being a bulldog and uh, you know I thought Rusty shared some really interesting stuff about his story. All right, they they get another one today, and it's the first commitment of the 2022 prospect. And Rusty, you had some strong words for this guy. Uh, tell us a little bit about the guy they got today. Marquise uh, Killebrew is a guy that I kind of – he played in the Georgia League Classic game as a ninth grader. also played in the Adidas All-American game as a ninth grader, the first Adidas All-American game played down in Naples and uh, played at Brookwood his freshman year. And um, – you know, Marquise was a guy that you first see, uh, you know, he was probably 5'11", skinny kid, you know, long arms, and uh, he's out there covering dudes and, and, and making plays. And, you know, he's he's kind of baby-faced kid. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I come back. So he plays in the Adidas All-American game as a freshman. Then in January or February of, that year of his freshman year, he tries out for Hustle, Inc., and he makes Hustle Inc., which is a national Adidas set on. You know, I'm talking about with Eric Gilbert, uh, Harrison Bailey, uh, you know, all those guys that played on that team that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he played with a lot of upper class guys. And 
you know, they, you know, Justin Miller, the former Clemson DB, uh, coaches the defense for that team. And, and, uh, you know, they throw them out there on, on a corner and, and seven on seven, you know how that goes. There's no, you know, you got four sack, quote unquote, you have four seconds. So you got to cover a guy for a while. So they would throw him out there on an island and, and, and he'd, he'd, you know, he'd be playing George Pickens or, or Jaden Hazelwood, you know, against, against Cam Newton's team. And here he was a freshman. So I knew he had a little bit of something in his neck. Last year as a sophomore, I saw him in the spring. We went to the Adidas National Championships. And it was funny because uh, that's kind of where Arian Smith and uh, all those guys kind of blew up on the scene. And when I saw Mar- I saw Marquise get get and these are these are elite of the elite. These are the best teams in the country, best players. I saw Keely Ringo play two games head up on Eric Gilbert. So that's what type of competition we got to see in, 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 in Tampa, you know, for Adidas National Championships. I hated it got canceled. I can't remember who it was, but a kid ran right by Marquise. I mean, he ran right by him and scored a touchdown. And they knew he was a young kid, and they got in him a little bit. And I was like about to find out what this kid's about. And and some of the upper class guys, I mean, they you know they were saying like, hey, you got to pick it up. You know, we got to have you right here. And and he never he never flinched. He never flinched. And I tell you this, I can't remember who it was, but it was a big time prospect from the West Coast. And I'll tell you, man, the rest of the game, they didn't get anything on him. And they kept trying him, and they kept trying him, and they kept trying him. And they would throw a fade. They were trying to throw it in front of him. And he just manned up, man. And I told Steve Wilpong that day, I remember standing there, I said, Steve, that that's the next really, really good one in the state of Georgia. You know, at that time, everybody kind of knew Smoke, Smoke Bowie from Bainbridge because he had the freshman year. I said, this kid right here is, is going to be good. And – uh, obviously, the, the ranking committee thought thought so as well because he uh, ranked about sixty third in the country already. Uh, I expect that uh, he'll float in that area, you know, give or take some spots until we get some good testing numbers on him. I don't think speed's going to be a problem. I know length and body wise is not going to be a problem. Technique's not going to be a problem. It's a kid that loves it. Uh, just really, really, really loves football. And it's funny. I was talking to him when I when. You know, he, he told me last week he was going to commit this week. And I said, well, what are you going to play? Are you going to play corner, you know, safety? He goes, man, I'm going to play it all. He goes, whatever they tell me to play, that's what I'm going to play. And, you know, you don't get that out of a young player. You know, you don't get that too much out of a young player. You know, and Chaz was the same way. You know, Chaz is like, Georgia uses so many packages that I could line up anywhere, you know, and rush to passer. I could play some inside. I, but he definitely is going to be in Dan Lanning's room on the outside. So not only did Georgia get two really good players – I think they got two kids that really, really love football. And, and man, that is so important right now, um, you know, as we move forward and what's going to be an ever-changing world of college football as we know it the next three, four, five years when this likeness, you know, image, that type of thing, you know, comes into effect. We're going to find out real quick who's in this for themselves and, and who's there for the team. You know, one of the things that that uh, and, and Rusty listened to you to explain that it, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but it's also kind of germane as well. Uh, listen to you explain that. I, I I got to thinking about how uh, lucky that folks are who who follow recruiting at our side are because you've got such a unique way of explaining things and and kind of you know storytelling in that way. And then I'm gonna throw it over here to Kip right now, and he's gonna have like a completely different uh, kind of view of, of how to. Uh, 
how to kind of describe Killebrew. And, and that's, that's something that kind of, uh, fascinates me about, you know, listening to you guys talk recruiting and stuff. And, and, uh, we'll, rather than just sit here and blabber about that, I'm gonna let Kip talk about, uh, Killebrew and kind of what he brings to the table, what he knows about him as a prospect. So Kip, take it away. The one thing that stands out to me about Groves Killebrew is just how Grayson was willing to put him on an Island, how often they were able to, you know, willing to do that with a sophomore, you know, looking at the highlights i mean he's just out there locking in on guys every play and i'll admit you know there 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 are times where he'll let a a guy get past him but his recovery speed is outstanding and it really it gives you a lot of hope for for what he's able to bring to the secondary just the fact that not only does he have great recovery speed he's got outstanding range and he looks like he's got really fluid hips. I mean, he he he's loose, he's quick, he changes directions in his back pedal. You could tell that not only has he been taught well for being a young player, but uh, I mean, he's he's very athletic. And with you know, with the route changes that, that they throw at you these days, looking comfortable out now and like that, you know, it's it's very promising for for where he's at as a player right now. I think that. You know, you want to see him get a little bit more physical. That's going to happen, you know, as he continues to get stronger. But just the confidence and, you know, that ability to to really make up for mistakes and run hip to hip with these receivers, blanket guys, it's it's highly impressive. That change of direction is really going to help him out at the next level. Like you said, he's going to has the ability to play multiple roles. I'm sure that Kirby Smart, you know, plans on using him at multiple positions in the secondary because he does that with a lot of the guys. So just just seeing those coverage skills at, at, at that young age and, and seeing him be able to go out there on the island and and play confident coverage, you know, it shows a lot of promise. And, and it, it, he's highly athletic. So, you know, there's not much not to love about Georgia being able to pick up a guy like that. And you look at that 2022 class, there are some DBs in the state of Georgia for that class. I mean, we talk about Smoke Bowie and, uh, you know, the, the kid at Valdosta's got outstanding size as well. Is it Jadarian Rim? I believe uh, Rusty had him at MVP camp. Malachi Starks yes. uh, from, from Jefferson. I mean, you look at a pair of guys that are, you know, 6'2", 170, 190 pounds in that range. Georgia has a chance to – really build a strong in-state secondary for that cycle. So, uh, you know, getting a guy early always helps. I mean, David Daniels been active recruiting for Georgia in the 2021 cycle. Richard LeCount being that first guy in his class. I mean, he was a guy that worked everyone in-state that cycle as well. So getting Groves Killebrew can help a lot off the field as well. So it's big news for Georgia, in my opinion. Yeah, he he definitely kind of fits the bill. Already ranked, you know, quite high in in the twenty four seven sports composites, uh, or tw- or about twenty four seven sports. He's already a, a top one hundred guy, and you know, it's it's just one of those things, man. Where Georgia has done such an incredible job of of recruiting defensive backs of late. I mean, it is they're on fire, really. It's gotten to the point where if if Georgia is in it with a, a an elite defensive back, you really can't count him out. And and they've gotten a head start here in the 2022 class with a guy that's ranked number 64 in the country by 24-7 sports. He's the number 10 cornerback, number 8 prospect in Georgia. 
Uh, you know, the way you guys talk about him really kind of gives me the vibe that he may move up as time goes on. You know, Rusty and I have talked about Malachi Starks. Kid lives about seven miles. I mean, he goes to school seven miles from my house because I almost live in Jefferson. So excited to kind of get a look at him at some point. Um, not sure where he projects, but but kind of gives you the, that safety vibe. And then you look at this current class, and they're recruiting guys like James Williams, who could turn out to be a linebacker, could turn out to be a number of different things. They're recruiting uh, Tony Grimes out of uh, out of the Northeast, out of that kind of that uh, Mid Atlantic area. So just a ton of studs coming at defensive back, and that's on par with Keith Ringo and and uh, and, and Jalen Kimber and, and some of the guys they've recruited here, uh, Tyreek Stevenson. That uh, they've done just such a tremendous job over the past few classes doing that, and they're off to a fast start in 2022 let's take a break real quick before we take that break though i want to talk about the fact that guys our best deal our absolute number one grade a deal to become a member at dogs 24 7 is up and running sign up for a full year get 75 percent off all right now if you want to divide that up into a full year and 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 talk about what that would be monthly two dollars and 24 cents a month if you want to talk about what you would be getting for free with the 75 percent off do the math real quick. That's nine months for free. You get a whole year, and the only thing you'd really pay for is three months. It's a ridiculous offer. It's one of our best. I mean, 30 bucks a month, basically, a little less than $30 a month. I'm sorry, a little less than $30 total to get an entire year of VIP access at Dogs 24-7. You get dog treats from Rusty and Kip pretty much every Monday morning. You get X's and O's breakdowns from me, Team Insider stuff from Rusty and myself. Kip does great chats. We do X's and O's breakdowns. We're always available on the board, and it's just a lot of fun over there. We we talk off-topic stuff. We Kip's got your movie thread. I've got your uh, Kip's got shoot. Kip's taking me over as far as the grilling stuff goes. He'll also show you where you can get a great craft beer. So uh, it's it's kind of a, a a three-man show over there. We really love it, and and we think you would too. So come give us a shot. Seventy-five percent off for a full year. Let's go ahead and jump into this break, and we'll talk team on the other side, and and kind of how COVID nineteen is going to affect the 2020 season. All right. Now, Rusty and I were talking before the show. Uh, Georgia is set to come back on June the 8th. But Rusty also kind of informed me of something else, Rusty, and that's the fact that the players, the the freshmen, are expected to start moving in on June the 3rd. Is that right? Well, yeah. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I did – text with two of them last night 2020 kids and they're going to be in athens on the third sorry if you hear that boom and this big loud thunder boom here in my hometown but um yeah they're going to be there so that tells me you know usually you have you know those orientation type deals uh, you move in you have a couple of days orientation get you know this that uh, apparel equipment uh, those types of things so uh probably you know, um, and I, this is a Georgia site, but for example, Ohio State is doing something a little bit different. Uh, I know that Justin Fields and Harry Miller, two prospects from the state of Georgia, uh, had to leave on Sunday to go back to Columbus because they're going to quarantine those kids, quote unquote, for 14 days, and they'll be ready to go on the 8th. So, from what I understand, Georgia, and I, I listen, I don't want to get too technical, but they're going to be heavy in testing. I'm not sure they're doing so much as quarantine. They're going to do a ton in testing. So we'll see how that goes, and that's kind of how they're going to handle it. I will say everybody's kind of doing different things, but nobody 
is walking in there trying to cut a corner. Everybody from Nick Saban to Kirby Smart to, to you know, Ryan Day to Jim Harbaugh, wh- whoever it is, they understand that we cannot have something, a hiccup. We, you know, we can't have something that should have been controlled happen if we want to have football season. Nobody wants to have it more than those guys. So there's a lot of precautions being taken. And I understand from the Georgia side, from what I'm hearing, there's going to be a lot of testing. And they're going to split guys up. Uh, from what I heard uh, from a couple of sources today, uh, you know, normally you would see like the offensive line working out together. You know, Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson, Solomon Kimley, all those guys. All those guys aren't working out together. Andrew Thomas would be in group one. Isaiah Wilson would probably be in group two. Solomon Kinley probably be in group three. Because if one group caught it, you don't want those five guys to get it all at once. So there's the, the, those things you don't think about. Okay, that type of process. So my gut feeling is probably you won't see Monty Rice working with N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker in the same group. They'll be all spread out different, different ways. So just little things like that you really never think about. That's some of the things that's going on from what I'm hearing. I'll tell you what, listening to you explain that, uh, one thing that kind of, the first thing that jumped out to me was the fact that, I mean, it's kind of going to be in a lot of, in, in a lot of ways, in at least one way, I would say, um, business as usual for the freshmen because, you know, sometimes those guys are able to move in at the tail end of May. More often than not, it's like right there around June 1st. This year it's June 3rd. So their transition to college is not going to be all that different than it would have been normally. So that's a that's a cool thing. I mean, at least there's some normalcy as far as that goes, and they'll get a chance that it won't be a situation where they haven't moved in in mid July. Let me um, ask Let me ask you this, Jake. So we're we're what March 27th. If I were to ask you on April 27th, if you thought Georgia players would be moving in on June 3rd, what would you have thought? Yeah, I, not that. I would have thought yep. end of June probably. Sure. At minimum July third. Yeah. You know, coming yeah, back sure. June, coming back June the eighth. Um, never thought I would see. Never thought that was going to happen. I, I've always been the 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 thinker that we're going to have football season, but to think that um, you know we're going to be back July the eighth in the SEC is is telling you things. Are, are going in a very positive direction with this, and we're learning more about it every day. So just interesting how it goes, but there's no way on April 27th anybody in the right mind would have said, yeah, they're going to be there June 3rd. No way. Absolutely. And, and another thing that kind of struck me when you were talking, Rusty, is, you know, you listed off all those head coaches, you know, Nick Saban and, and Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart, you know, whoever. The pressure that is on these guys, no, no longer is it pressure to win. The pressure to not cut corners, as you mentioned, and to do things the right way and to hold the line and to keep this thing steady and to follow all protocols possible and to keep your team healthy and get into the season and get this thing going is immense now because you see college programs. You don't see the big timers doing it, but you're seeing Appalachian State cutting programs. You're seeing other teams, you know, other other schools cutting programs, and that's without thinking, hey, Football, you're going to make half as much in football or 25% as much as football. It, you could lose a lot of revenue this year in football if somebody does cut a corner. So it's one of those things where kind of the, the, the upfront cost of, of paying for testing and paying for all this other stuff is, is so incredibly key because, you know, at the end of the day, you, 
a season needs to happen for these universities. A season needs to happen for morale in this country. And I know there are folks that don't want to hear that. I know there are folks that are not big into sports and, and they've lost somebody. And I'm sorry. Like, I really am. Like, my heart goes out to you and to, to the 100,000 people that over 100,000 people that are now being reported have having passed in this country. That That's a tragedy. Okay. But at the same time, like, I don't think that, that any of this. Um, you know, and I think sheltering in place and doing what we had to do was was good as far as keeping the hospitals from getting overrun. And I don't want to get too deep into this, but I do want to say that the staying sheltering in place and, and doing all those things it was not is not sustainable long term. There are a lot of things and a lot of people that are going to lose everything if that happens. And and I and I try to be sympathetic with that part of it too. So. Um, you know, I, I really believe these college coaches from a social perspective, from a from a, a perspective of, of, you know, their president is looking to them now to be like, hey, we kind of need you to save the day here because we lost a lot of revenue. I mean, some schools may not have lost a lot of revenue because it's not like the, the spring sports make a ton of money. But, you know, the, the, a lot of revenue is on the table here that we need to get to keep this university running, to keep all these people employed that are employed there. And, and it's a bigger deal than, than just putting players on the field and being entertained by it, while that's also kind of important too. Uh, Kip, do, what what do you think in terms of, of you know, the players reporting and, and the workout thing, you know, is is this going to have a big impact on, you know, the, the how the – the, the workouts are going to be structured and everything like that. Do you think, can you think of a way that that may Im- negatively impact a player, negative Im- impact a group or, or, or do you think it's going to be kind of something that, that maybe by July they're full scale working, pressing, knocking it all out? Yeah. I'm interested to see just what the schedule is as far as, are we going to have a couple weeks of like OTA style? We're going to have some walkthroughs, you know, going to have a couple weeks of, just still kind of working in virtual meetings. I think, you know, they're all going to ease this through. And I mean, just think of the Rusty's point. I mean, you got to have these guys kind of still separated. So you're going to have first teamers, I guess, you know, all out there going against the third teamers. And then they're going to leave the entire area. And then you're going to have two separate groups come in. You know, are they going to increase the time that schools are allowed to practice to allow for the fact that this is going to take longer to have a regular practice. I mean, these things are all timed. I mean, all the colleges have, you know, they have the buzzers that go off. They have every the big clocks everywhere going from station to station, getting everything kind of implemented, install and everything. It's going to take longer for schools to do that under a system like that. So, are they going to be able to increase the hours during the week that schools are able to practice? And then, again, heaven forbid, I mean, you, you get 13,000, however many athletes involved, you know, they're not going to go a season without somebody testing positive. So what's the protocol for that? You know, if the, if the, if the, your starting quarterback gets it, you know, test positive, what, what happens then? Is he the only one that's, that's quarantined? I mean, he's probably come in contact with some of his teammates. So that's still something that we have to kind of figure out how to handle something like that. Because what if it happens on a Friday and you're trying to you're having to go through and see who everyone he's come in contact with? What what is the protocol for something like that? 
is a team going to have to, you know, sit half of its team or is a team going to have to forfeit for something like this? And these are things that right now are still secondary to, to getting everybody in there and trying to do this safely. But looking at the big picture, kind of peeling it back and looking at the season with teams like Georgia that have national championship aspirations, you know, those are things that could heavily impact that outcome. And it's something that I think it, we're still kind of in the, the big unknown for that. And, and that's still like, you know, questions that, that I have. How do you implement something like that when it's still something we're trying to figure out as far as the virus itself and how we should properly handle all that, much less thinking about the seating. If we're going to have fans in the stands and, and you know, a married couple or family, are they going to bring eight together and sit together? It's all you know, just something that's that's very interesting and, and that we're going to be figuring out on a week-by-week basis. It seems like every week we're kind of learning something new about how this college football season might unfold, players getting back. I think right now just the good news is that we feel we're all in a good place to where players and, and coaches, coaching staffs can report to the campus again and, and, and kind of move forward with some semblance of, of a college football season. I just, I have a you know, a pretty strong feeling. It's just going to be a season unlike anyone we've ever experienced before. All right. Instead of getting into a little situation where we're going to have these long, uh, this long discussion about it, before we let the folks go, Rusty, game one in Sanford Stadium this year, I guess it would be East Tennessee State on September the 12th. Or, or heck, let's go. Let's go to Chick Fil A Dome, a uh, Chick Fil A game in, in the Mercedes Benz Dome. How many fans do you think will be capacity for that game? Which one, Virginia? Virginia, yeah. Let's let's go with yeah Mercedes Benz Stadium. What's it hold? Seventy kip. I need a. It's important. I get a, an accurate number here if I'm going to be put on the spot. I think it's right at seventy one. Seventy one thousand. Okay. okay. I'll tell you this. There's some things going on in in. Anybody that listens to this, and you guys know I'm kind of involved with the Corky Kale. The Corky Kale could end up, the Corky Kale High School Classic could end up being a guinea pig for not only professional football, uh, the opening weekend for Georgia in that Mercedes Benz. Now, they're not worried so much about the number at a Corky Kale event for four high school games, but I'm not sure. And I don't know this for 100%. So please, if you listen to this, I'm just telling you some things that we're hearing that are floating around. There may not be NFL preseason games, there will be OTAs. So, you know, um, Charlotte would come down and play Atlanta in two days of OTAs. The next week, Nashville would, or Atlanta would go to Nashville. And then the next week, Atlanta would go to Jacksonville. I don't think you're going to see Seattle on a plane coming to play Atlanta for an OTA. I don't know that for 100%. Okay, so take that with a grain of salt. But I know there's some discussion on that. There may not be NFL preseason games. They're fully going to have uh, scheduled games from what I hear. So that's another subject. What I'm getting at, to answer this question, the Corky Kale is being looked at because it's only going to be estimated 20,000 people and they have looked at a diagram of how those 20,000 can be social distance on the lower bowl at Mercedes-Benz. So I'll say this. If that winds up being the case for that Corky Kale, 
It very well could turn into a situation where Georgia and Virginia play in front of 20,000 in the lower bowl. And maybe some people use some sweets because of that. It's a you know a Chick Fil A game. And there's going to be all kind of corporate tickets and all that. Maybe you go thirty thousand in that first game instead of seventy one, and 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 they'll already have a plan. They've already been through it. They've already had the gates. They've already had what concessions you want to run. So they'll already have a trial run. If Corky Kell, which is like August eighteenth that weekend, if it indeed winds up being the guinea pig, two weeks later on a on a you know, three-game weekend in, in the Mercedes-Benz, they'll already know, hey, this is how we did it, and this is how we can do it. So there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of discussion right now uh, with that, and I kind of got a little bit of inside. So if we're going to talk about Mercedes-Benz, and if there is a smaller crowd, they're going to take a hard look at how Corky Kell is because, they're, you know, Corky Kell's around 20000 total, and they have a plan in place to where uh, they can social distance there. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the neighborhood of uh, of somewhere between 30 and 40 percent capacity, like you mentioned. Maybe maybe you know 25,000. I, I think that's kind of a way that you can maybe get folks in there and and allow them to give as you know six feet whenever possible. I mean, it's I think you give you give people a chance in that scenario. And like Kip mentioned, families coming in or groups coming in, 10 people, 12 people that would all have already been around each other anyway. Uh, you know, so you've got that too. So I, you know, I, I definitely thirty thousand wouldn't shock me. I think when you start looking at stadiums in general, I think you're looking at probably somewhere between thirty and forty thousand. And for Sanford Stadium, that would mean, you know, sorry, thirty to forty percent. And for Sanford Stadium, if you go forty percent, you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of about you know thirty-five to forty thousand fans in the stands, which would be you know quite a few. And and it would actually give you a little bit of an atmosphere. I think Georgia's had more than that for G days, but. Uh, I mean, they've absolutely had more than that for G-Days, but they've had people at G-Day in those amounts before make quite a bit of noise and, and kind of get some energy in there, and I think that's pretty crucial to the game. Kip, where where do you stand on that? Do you, You're looking more or less than 50%. How, how do you view it? I think twenty to 25000 for Virginia is probably about right. And, uh, you know, good luck to those people counting the, those Harmon Fund points. I mean, uh how, how they figure out who gets to go to the games, obviously, I think for most teams, is going to be point-based. McGill, uh, McGill Society is going to jump in that line, aren't they, Jake? Right away. Right, right. away. Those guys are going to be at the front of it. That, that McGill Society is going to jump in on those tickets, and the Hartman people that have been donating for 20 years are going to be ready for a bull in the ring in the parking lot. Yeah, they're going to be breaking a, a pool stick in half and saying, hey, <laughs> we'll see which one of you guys gets to show up. But, you know, I, I think 30 to 40 percent is probably the way to go. And it's just, again, the more I think about just a game atmosphere, this the more questions I have, because, I mean, you'd have to you have to clean the facility. You'd have to, you know, clean that place. It, it'd have to be the cleanest it's ever been. And then what about equipment? Medical devices, you know, uh, the, the towels and water bottles on the sidelines, training tables, you know, just the the workout facility, you know, equipment, oxygen masks on the sideline. There's so many things that, you know, get shared in, in the course of a football practice and a football game that they're going to have to approach in a different way. And, you know, like where, where are the coaches going to be? Some of the coaches, you know, that are up there in age, a little bit more high risk, you know, from what we know so far. So, uh, you know, how many Zoom meetings are we going to have? We're going to have Zoom meetings for practice the entire year. 
Do you just put the the coaching staff, you know, on the big screen at the stadium and have the the players that you know just distance out throughout Sanford Stadium to to hold their meetings, you know, if they want to do it in person, or you know, are they going to go Zoom the whole year? It's just uh, it's fascinating. I think I think they're going to be some fans in the stands, but I just think we're going to be at a reduced capacity for most, if not the entire year. Yeah, and it's all going to depend on how things go early in the year. I think they'll probably get a little braver and a little braver as the year goes on. And, um, you know, hopefully, and we all hope this because it's it's a it's a it's an indication of how things are going. I would love it if when Georgia plays Georgia Tech in Sanford Stadium right around, you know, that that Saturday after Thanksgiving for it to be a max crowd for it to be. 93,000 people, not because I want somebody to get the coronavirus, but because at that point, hopefully we've learned enough about this thing and this virus has run its course and we haven't hit a second wave and we just know that it's safe to do it and that means that things are as close to, to normal as they could possibly be at that point. And that's what we're all pulling for. One second, I hate to break in. I'll say this. If things go well, the first opening weekend in college football, I'm going to tell you one thing. Georgia, Alabama is going to be a large crowd. A large crowd in Tuscaloosa. That'll be two weeks later from that deal. And I'm just telling you, that's going to be, that's one of the top two or three games in the country next year. And I, I just cannot see unless something turns, something happens, which very well could. But if Things go well through August, and that opening weekend of college football goes good. Two weeks later in Tuscaloosa, to me, that's going to be a massive crowd. No doubt about it. And if if the massive crowd can't get into the stadium, it's going to be a massive crowd outside of it because they're going to have a hard time regulating how many people can get out there and tailgate for that thing. And uh, that one's early enough in the year that that there's some folks going to burn. There's some people going to catch on fire outside of that one because it's going to be hot. But uh, – uh, everybody stay safe uh, out there and uh, yeah, that's all we've got for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7 they're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell and uh, we'll see you guys next week take it easy